right, Texans fans, it's time for another episode, another edition of the podcast. And today we have Matt Taylor on, voice of the Indianapolis Colts. Yes, I will ask him about the Indianapolis 500. Did he go? What was it like for the city of Indy with over 100,000 people there? Man, we're coming out of COVID, and it's fun. And at NRG Stadium, people coming back into the office more and more for in-person work. Well, you're kind of in person if you're at home, right? I mean, your person is there working, but you know what I'm saying. We're all done with the Zoom calls, are we not? Still having them. Look, Zoom call protocols, people understand how to behave on the Zoom now, right? Remember in the early days of Zoom, like a year ago, how tough it was for certain individuals to get used to it? But we all did. We all got through this together. Still going on, I know. Still going on, but certainly coming out of it in a big, big way with active participation at sporting events, with concerts, with the Texans opening up the gates, 70-plus thousand coming into NRG this fall. First home game will be August 28th against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All right, before we get rolling with Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, let's give you some OTA stuff, shall we? Now, went out there a few times, and I got to tell you, The uh, OTA sessions, over the years, I've learned not to get too excited about anything I see, too worked up about anything I don't see or anyone I don't see at OTAs. They're OTAs. They're voluntary and mandatory minicamp. We kind of make a big deal about this because it's mandatory. But at the same time, in recent years with the Texans anyway, and most teams, they usually cancel the last day of that three-day mandatory minicamp, and they end up doing a couple of days of things because – In the past, pre-COVID, you didn't have any OTAs last year, your OTAs had nearly 100% participation, and you got your work done during that nine-week period where you had the conditioning and the ramp up to doing stuff on the field. And then you have the big break, then training camp. Anyway, what I've seen this year from the Texans, first of all, broadcasters' perspective. Usually at OTAs, I am learning the Texans' names and numbers, so once training camp hits, I know the team cold, and I don't have to worry about knowing the team cold when the preseason games start because preseason broadcasts, boys and girls, are a lot tougher on broadcasters than regular season. You have so many more players to learn. You have 90-man rosters. You have four layers on the depth chart, and even though you might think, well, these games don't count. They count for us. I mean, they're real broadcasts, you know. You don't want to be there in the third and fourth quarter and Joe McGillicuddy comes into the game and you've never prepped him. You don't know who he is or you haven't really read his bio or anything. You don't know much about him. You don't know what number he has. You want to know all those things. You like that name I picked, McGillicuddy? I don't know why. It just came out. But the point is you spend the time at OTAs to learn your team because you have some new players, a handful here and there. And then you learn the opponents once training camp hits. And obviously I'm watching the Texans during training camp, but more for nuance purposes, for more background, that kind of thing. Well, this year, I feel like I'm watching a joint practice and I'm learning the opponent Right, because they have so many new players on this team with all these new numbers that I really got to dive in in a way that I haven't had to during OTAs before. And this is going to go into training camp, but it's fun. I like it. There's an excitement to it. Learning all these new guys, and they've been around the block, most of them. So they have a history. You learn about their history, and we get to tell about their history once these preseason broadcasts hit. I've said it before in this space that – Our department, my department, we run the preseason TV broadcasts with Kevin Kugler and Spencer Tillman and Drew Doherty on the sideline, and Johnny takes part, and 
They even visit the radio booth from time to time. But the point is that we are really dug into this and into telling these stories. And very often in years past, you have star players who never make the field, right? Because you're trying to preserve the star players. This year, I know there are going to be guys that they hold out for whatever reason, health, or like we know this guy can do X, so we're going to keep him out of the preseason games. But you're going to have most of these guys participating. And starting jobs could be, and I think will be, won and lost based on preseason game performances. And obviously, if they do joint practices or whatever they do in training camp. But there are going to be a lot of jobs up for grabs, a lot of cool stories to tell during training camp. So in the OTAs, it's a little bit different for me because I'm really learning a lot of new players. The other thing is this. Quarterbacks, your eyes always go to the quarterbacks, right? You have three new ones out there right now. We all know who's not there, but who's out there? Terod Taylor, Davis Mills, and Jeff Driscoll. So I'm watching three new Texans quarterbacks this year at OTAs. Well, Taylor looks every bit the leader that he's advertised to be, right? The ball's coming out. The ball's accurate. Look, we didn't see live tackle the guy 11-on-11 action, okay? But we saw some stuff, and they're definitely learning the playbook, learning the plays, uh, learning how to do things the way the coaches want them to do them. And uh, Taylor looked the part. Davis Mills, the ball was accurate. Looked like he handled himself very well. Didn't look like a rookie out there. And the stuff I saw Looked like it was always going where it was supposed to be going. Good composure. You know, that's all you can ask for in early June, right? That's all you can ask for is that the kid is behaving or producing that way on the practice field. Behaving. Sounds like I'm talking about my 8-year-old. Is he behaving? How's his behavior? Is this a problem? No, his behavior is just fine. Thank you. So that was cool to see. Um, Guys that kind of jump out at you just looking at them running around because, again, you're just watching guys running around. It's shorts, no pads, that kind of thing. Obviously, helmets on. But Phillip Lindsay, the running back they got from the Denver Broncos, you know, not the biggest guy in the world, but quick. And not just fast, but quick, lateral quickness. He's the kind of guy, he jumps to the hole, cuts, finds a little lane, finds a little sliver of real estate, makes the most out of a carry. Uh, with health, I think this guy's going to be really interesting. In fact, the whole backfield. I mean, they have so many guys to choose from right after the signing of Rex Burkhead this week. It's going to be really interesting to see this take shape in camp. Now, I think the running back position, I wrote about this this week uh, in a Daily Brew on Wednesday. The running back position for most NFL teams, established teams who know their backfield pretty well, in training camp, you know, you want to get some guys some action, some pops, right? But you don't want to wear down your backs, especially veterans. You know who they are. You know what they can do. These guys with this team, with this offense, you might have an inkling of what they can do, but it's going to be interesting to see how the coaches handle it. Like, how much do you really want them doing out there? How much do you want to take the risk of wearing somebody down like a Lindsay who you think he'd be really good for your team? I also wrote about this. David Johnson, 4.7 yards per carry, which, look, is not a killer number, but it's certainly middle of the pack or better, and better than a lot of backs out there, names you know, right? And... I really think that once he got the COVID list appearance out of the way and the concussion issue out of the way, he became a very productive player for this football team. And once Tim Kelly really, I want to say, found his legs as an offensive coordinator as the season went along and knew what you had and they were running more zone-blocking stuff, Johnson was highly productive. I It would not shock me at all if Johnson's the starter, but we'll see. They got a lot of guys to choose from. We'll see how that 
competition goes. And speaking of competition, they have it everywhere, right? Receiver, they got a lot of guys to choose from. Tight ends, obviously. Um, back to receiver, good to see Cooksey out there doing his thing. Uh, very productive guy. I, I just think that, and, and Tyrod talked about this, or Tyrod, rather. We talked to him about the proper pronunciation of his name. He says he doesn't care, but we're going with Tarot because that's the latest. Anyway, uh, he talked about getting the ball in the hands of the playmakers, that this offense enables him to get the ball out fast, just get it out fast, get it to a playmaker, see what he can do. Uh, you know where I last heard that in great detail? I'm not saying this team has that level of talent at this level, if you will, uh, but Ken Dorsey used to talk about that at the University of Miami. He said, why, why am I holding on to the ball waiting for things to happen? Just get it to the first playmaker I could find. Let him do the work, right? And they had a lot of playmakers there, obviously. But you've got playmakers here. They've got a lot to choose from. We mentioned the running backs, the receivers. Uh, that could be a very deep core uh, if you get the most that you can out of a Kiki QT and a rookie Nico Collins and the other receivers they have to choose from, Chris Conley. These guys could all be very interesting, and there could be some tougher cuts than you think. And then you look at the tight ends, and you have Farrell Brown coming back and Jordan Akins, and because uh, Kahale Waring, could he do anything this year that uh, that surprises you? former third-round draft choice, and, of course, Brevin Jordan, who you want to see big things from as a draft choice from this year. The defense, I don't really have much to say, OTA stuff, although size matters on that D-line sometimes when you're trying to stop the run, and those defensive tackles, some of them look awfully large to me. Great to see Big Z back for another go. And I liked looking at uh, Roy Lopez, the rookie from Arizona and New Mexico State, who – just looks huge out there, like a vending machine. And they have linebackers for days. The OLBs who converted to defensive linemen, they'll get a long look at the pass rush. I think with the defensive backs, look, I'm not going to be able to tell you much until we get to camp and they really go live because that's the way it always is with DBs. But um, they have some choices there as well. We'll see. Look, I hate to say we'll see, but that's pretty much every football team this uh, this time of year, right? We'll see. All right, let's get to our guest here. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts. Just thought I'd share a little info on OTAs, what I'm seeing out there. Matt Taylor, who has had the job being the voice of the Indianapolis Colts, does a really terrific job, very thorough, and I caught up with him and just asked him how things were going in Indy. It's going well. The Colts uh, were one of the teams that had an abbreviated uh, off-season workout program. You know, normally you have in, in years past, you know, non-COVID years, if you will, Mark, you have, you know, the 13 OTA periods and three days of minicamp in June. Um, you know, the Colts were one of those teams that adapted uh, this year and uh, the coaches and the, and, the, and the players got together and came to a little bit of a compromise and said, uh, give us two weeks um, and, and we won't do anything rigorous on the field. We're going to do, you know, mostly uh, walk through, uh, you know, playbook install stuff for, for the younger guys so they can get up to speed mentally. As you know, Mark, there's only so many things you can really grasp and, and get accomplished on Zoom. So, the Colts thought it was a good idea to get at least, you know, some on the field uh, work done, um, you know, with, with position groups and doing some individual stuff. They didn't have any seven on seven or 11 on 11 full go stuff that you normally see during OTA periods, but thought really, it was really important for the Colts to get on the field, especially having um, some, some new coaches at some really important um, position groups if you will on the coaching staff you've got a new quarterback in Carson Wentz you're going to have a new left tackle uh, with Anthony Costanzo deciding to retire this offseason so thought it was important for the Colts to at least have two weeks 
um, of, of on-field work activity, even though it wasn't strenuous this offseason. All right, so let's start there with the uh, left tackle situation. So the running game does change here, but it was really good last year, and Taylor had a really nice debut. You get Mac back, right? So tell us a little bit about what's going on up front and the ground attack. Well, I think on paper the Colts could have the best running back group in the NFL. I mean, as you said, Marlon Mack is back. He was a free agent signing, and he missed basically all of 2020 minus two quarters because he tore his Achilles in week one in Jacksonville last year. It was really unfortunate for him because he was coming off a 1,000-yard season in 2019 heading into a contract year, and then boom, it's just all done. Um, But then Jonathan Taylor was able to emerge, and he hit some speed bumps along the way last year, and he kind of it needed to take himself some time to kind of find out what this NFL uh, was all about for him and, you know, how the game and the speed of the game changed coming from Wisconsin, but I tell you what, towards the end of the season, really about the halfway point of last year, he really came on. I mean, he finished third in the NFL in rushing, led all rookies last year in rushing. I mean, there was a stretch towards the end of the year where he was averaging over 70 yards uh, rushing per game. And um, so that that just kind of speaks to his consistency and his ability to kind of figure out this game. Uh, but as you said, uh, you know, the offensive line is – the same but different, if that makes any sense, because they do have a, a new left tackle, which arguably is the most important uh, you know, uh, offensive line position on any football team. But considering that Carson Wentz is now the quarterback of the Colts and he was sacked 50 times last year with the Philadelphia Eagles and you know, led the NFL in sacks taken, um, it's really, really important for the Colts to figure that out because what you don't want uh, Carson Wentz to be doing is kind of you know, looking over his shoulder and wondering, hey, when am I going to get hit or how am I going to get hit? So um, it's really, really important for the Colts to figure that out. Eric Fisher was signed a couple of weeks ago in free agency. But of course, as we know, he tore his Achilles uh, with the Chiefs in the AFC championship game. So his availability is not going to be there. You wouldn't think the first couple of games of the season. And if you look at the first couple of games of the season for the Colts, Mark, it is it is sort of murderer's row. It's sort of like what the Texans faced last year to begin the season. You mean all playoff teams, uh, you know, their first five games are against teams that won at least 10 games last year. And with the AFC being so loaded and being so competitive, every game is going to be so important for the Colts and any team that wants to make the playoffs. I mean, we saw it last year. The Colts were 11-5, and five, but barely got in. They were the seventh and final team in the AFC postseason picture. Um, so that may that means every game is so crucial. I mean, if you go back to last season, the Colts dropped a week one game in Jacksonville that I alluded to. Had they won that game, you know, they, they win the AFC South, they win the division, they host a playoff game, and things are a little bit different. So those first five games of the season are going to tell us, you know, how viable the Colts are and kind of the barometer on if this team is a playoff team and if they can kind of navigate that early part of the schedule with a new left tackle and a new quarterback. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, joining us. All right, so tell us what you can about Wentz right now. I know there hasn't been a ton of work, so how does he look? I guess you haven't had a long look at him, but what's the prognosis here? What's the projection of how Wentz is going to be in this offense? Well, what they're talking about right now is sort of reorganizing the playbook for Carson Wentz. It's not changing the scheme. It's not changing the offense. It's The Colts have been, as you know, Mark, they've been a team that's sort of had to pivot 
and adjust on the fly with Andrew Luck deciding to retire and Jacoby Brissett, the quarterback, and then a chance to bring in Phillip Rivers, then he retires. So you're talking about four different starting quarterbacks Mm. four years in a row. I mean, that just doesn't happen, especially at a place like Indianapolis where, you know, this fan base was just so used to two decades, if you will, of quarterback stability with Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. I know Texans fans don't like to hear about that, but that's that's what they were used to around here. So you're going to have a, a, a fourth different starting quarterback four years in a row. That's the first time in the history of the Colts franchise that's occurred. So what they're doing right now is sort of taking pages from uh, what Andrew Luck did a couple of years ago that may be in the middle of the playbook or the back of the playbook. And now they're bringing those pages and those plays to the front of the playbook to accommodate Carson Wentz. So I don't think it's going to be a huge change in scheme and, and a formula to move the ball down the field, but I do think it's going to be some subtleties here and there, you know, maybe some more RPOs. I mean, Phillip Rivers, Mark, was so get the ball out fast, an insane uh, completion percentage. I mean, last year, routinely, he was over 70% completion percentage, uh, was, you know, Sunday in and Sunday out. Um, I think, you know, I don't know if you can expect that from Carson Wentz, the Colts would like to have him get the ball out and be pinpoint accurate, but he's a little bit more mobile. He's deceptively mobile. He's got some speed to his game. He's certainly got the arm strength that Andrew Luck had. So maybe some more deep shots, traditional deep shots down the field, get guys going like T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell is coming back from an injury from last season. So I think they're going to get see your more traditional deep shots down the sidelines with those guys, whereas last year the Colts got their chunk plays but there's a lot of yards after the catch, some crossers and overs from Rivers, who was really good at doing that. Uh, but I think this this offense is going to look more like it did with 2000, in 2018 when Andrew Luck was at the helm. Well, Matt, we all know T.Y. still can bring it if he's healthy. And as you mentioned, Campbell's coming back. And the pundits are saying that the Colts are or should be perhaps a target for the Julio Jones sweepstakes. Who knows what happens there? But do they need more help in the pass catching department? Do they like what they have currently? And I guess this is a loaded question. It's all predicated on health, right? I mean, if everybody's healthy, you could be okay. Sure. I mean, yeah, you've got a lot of options right now. And to be honest with you, I really don't know where the Julio Jones uh, stuff comes from um, because, uh, you know, I mean, if that's true, then, you know, I mean, every team would like to add playmakers. But, I mean, the Colts are a team, if you look at kind of how they won games last year and how they operated their offense from a season ago, they were a very uh, high-volume offense in terms of getting people involved every Sunday. I mean, every single game last year, at least seven different pass catchers caught a ball. Um, so they're, 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 they're a team that definitely likes to get their tight ends involved, and that's where Kylan Granson, who they drafted in the fourth round out of SMU, comes into play. They think he can kind of be that Trey Burton or Eric Ebron hybrid role. Or you know, if you go back to Frank Reich's um, tenure in, in Philadelphia, kind of that Zach Ertz, you know, uh, red zone, third down type of role. Um, so they've got that. They've still got uh, Mo Ali Cox and Jack Doyle. We already talked about all the running backs with Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack. Naeem Hines, who is a 
sort of a third down specialist. Uh, you know, he can you know, line up in the slot. He can be a running back. He can even split him out wide a little bit. So they like his versatility. And then T.Y. Hilton coming back, Michael Pittman, who they think can eventually be that number one wide receiver um, after T.Y. Hilton, uh, his tenure with the Colts comes to an end. Um, so they, they, they've got a lot of options. And they've got some playmakers, but they just need to stay healthy. You know, Mack last year, Campbell last year, T.Y. Hilton has been banged up, you know, two out of the last three years. So, yes, it does make sense on on the surface to always kind of see what's out there on the open market. But you've got enough playmakers to move the ball and have a successful offense based on what you're returning and bringing in uh, from one offseason to the next. Matt, give me something on the defense. How's it looking for 2021? Yeah, defensively, you no longer have Justin Houston, and you no longer have Danico Autry. Houston's still a free agent. He's well over the age of 30. Autry was lost in free agency to the Tennessee Titans. And you talk about those first, the first five games of the season, Mark, the Colts are really rolling the dice on a lot of young players and guys that have been sort of rotational guys that haven't produced to the level that they need them to starting next season. They drafted Quiddy Pay in the first round, edge player out of Michigan, but he's a rookie. They think long-term this is going to be a great pick. It's going to be a home run selection. He's going to be hopefully turns into a guy like a Robert Mathis or a Dwight Freeney that Colts fans are used to seeing. But it's 2021, and you got to play games in the immediate future. And, you know, just pass rushers coming out early – it's hard to get 10, 11, 12 sacks as rookie players. Um, so you, you look at that. You have guys like Isaac Rochelle, who they brought over from the uh, the Chargers. Al-Kadim Muhammad has been a rotational player, played about 50% of the snaps last year. They need more from Kamoko Ture, a former second-round pick from a couple years ago. He's heading into a contract year. It's been banged up the last uh, two years with a really bad ankle injury. They really need more out of him. They need more out of Ben Banigou. And they also have Dio Adangbo, who they draft in the second round out of Vanderbilt. But just like Eric Fisher, he's coming off an Achilles. So when is he going to be on the field? And when he does get on the field, he's a rookie. What can you expect production-wise? So they just need more consistency. They need more production in terms of pressures and sacks and getting after opposing quarterbacks. That, to me, is going is what's going to separate this team from a good defense to a great defense, a part of a playoff team. You know, last year they were somewhere in the 40s in terms of getting uh, getting sacks, but they would get five or six one game and then one or zero the next. They just need to be somewhere around that two to three sack neighborhood for consistency that way they can continue is continuously uh, alter games and, and get in the face of quarterbacks to to help that that secondary which was picked apart by elite quarterbacks down the stretch particularly because they just didn't get enough pass rush up front All right, a couple more for you matt matt taylor voice of the colts with us level of excitement when they picked up rivers versus level of excitement for the fan base and everybody involved when they made the trade to get Carson Wentz. And I got to imagine with Wentz, at least you're getting a guy who's going to be around for a few years. You knew Rivers was short-term at best. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the difference. You're, you're, it's, it's, a, it's a 37, 38-year-old acquisition versus a 28-year-old acquisition. And, and both were met with, you know, it's, it's hard to speak for the entire fan base, but if I can just kind of paint with a broad stroke, both were met with a little bit of uh, – you know, uh, trepidation because Rivers is older and you're talking about a quarterback that's 
um, you know, plays on the West Coast, and he has some history there with the Colts um, in the playoffs where he took them out of the postseason and kind of run in his mouth, and Colts fans didn't like that. So they had to kind of get over that aspect mm-hmm. of, of Rivers because he was just, you know, in a Charger uniform for so many years. And then with Carson Wentz, it's kind of like a wait-and-see type of thing because he's coming off a season where – you know, 57% completion percentage, led the NFL in sacks taken, interceptions. So we're like, okay, how is this going to go? Um, why do the Eagles want to get rid of them to the point where they uh, took on all of that dead money? So like, there's a there's kind of cautiously optimistic um, section of the fan base that wants to see how this goes. But again, I think everybody's a little bit optimistic because of the Frank Reich connection with both Rivers and Wentz and prior connections with the Chargers and the Eagles. Finally, Matt, uh, did you go to the 500? What was it like for the city to have such a massive crowd bring that huge event back following COVID? Oh, it was great. I did not go, but my wife went. Uh, We would normally go together, but just with with our family situation, we've got young kids. So I stayed back Mm. with the young kids, watched them build up some husband equity, if you will. Uh, let her let her go to the race. Um, and it was great. She said she had a great time. Uh, she said it was incredibly normal, which was awesome to hear. It was 135,000 people, uh, which sounds like a huge number. And it is. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, any any Indy 500 like that's that's a down year for a 500 because the normal um, occupancy out there in terms of fan attendance is, is normally in the twos, like 230 or wow. 240. Um, so it's certainly the largest uh, sporting spectator crowd since COVID hit last March. But I mean, around here from everything I can gather, it went off without a hitch. You know, you really haven't read stories or heard anything about, you know, COVID cases blowing up in central Indiana, which is awesome. So it's, it's, it's kind of a return to normalcy around here. And it was great to have a huge sporting event and not not have it be all political and not have all this um, <laughs> stuff around it. You know, it's like, should we be doing this? Should we not be doing this? What are the protocols? It was just about the race. and It was about celebrating Memorial Day and, and for what Memorial Day is all about and what it should be about. Um, it was a it was a great weekend, great weather here. And uh, kudos to people in Indiana and the, and the Speedway for putting it all together. All right, Matt, thanks so much for the time. As always, look forward to catching up soon. All right, guys, I appreciate it. There's Matt Taylor, voice of the Indianapolis Colts. Check out all the other podcasts right here, wherever you get this one, or wherever fine podcasts are available. And read about your Texans all weekend, all week long on the Texans app at HoustonTexans.com. Have a great day, everyone, and go Texans.